0: Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today on the programme, we're diving into a report from the Chief Investment Office of UBS Global Wealth Management, which asks, is a new roaring 20s decade ahead for the United States? The economy has evolved in unexpected ways this year. So our panel, which features two of the authors of the piece, will explain why the macro picture is unusual right now, what the big secular trends are that will shape the supply side for good and bad in this decade, and take stock of what all of that means for those smart investors keen to position to take best advantage. Let's meet the panel. Welcome back to the show, Jason Dreo, Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas at UBS Global Wealth Management, And Paul Hsiao, an asset allocation strategist in the UBS CIO. Jason, Paul, great to have you both with us. Really interesting to talk to you about this piece. Another roaring 20s for the US, that's the question. It's kind of playful. And Jason, maybe you can start by telling us exactly what is so kind of unusual about the US economy right now and and why it might be, I don't know, why there may be hints of a a new regime or a, a bit of a new era.
1: Well, if we go back to the start of this year, the consensus expectation across the industry was that the US economy would be in recession by the middle of the year, the second half of this year, so we'd be in recession right now, and it would be slowing down, interest rates would be declining, the 10-year treasury yield would be around 3 3 3.5% in that range. Instead, we got data that showed that the US economy grew at 4.9% in the third quarter, a very, very strong number. The 10-year treasury yield briefly touched 5% and yields across the entire treasury curve got to the highest level they have been in 16 years. So the consensus was quite wrong. The question is why? And is there something actually maybe going on in the economy that isn't just having to do with some policy stimulus or kind of post-pandemic normalization, but there's something structurally different about it that maybe – in fact, there is some sort of roaring twenties element to this economy that's going to be higher for longer for an extended period of time. So that's really kind of the, the point of the presentation, and you know, asking this question: given how different it was than versus expected, what's actually going on here, and is it maybe much better than we think?
0: Well, yeah, let me just jump in on that roaring 20s Monica, Jason, because it's pretty, pretty provocative. If you think about the 2010s being characterised, as you say, by this kind of lower for longer uh, cycle,
1: w- what is so different about where we are at the moment, the current economic environment, compared then and now? So if you go to the 2010s, one of the things that sort of characterised that entire decade was recovering from a financial crisis. And the implications for the economy overall was that Demand was constrained and there was a lot of excess supply. And you can see it across different parts of the economy a lot of excess houses, you know, after the housing crisis, a lot of excess capacity. So that was really the story of the last decade, which meant that economic activity, growth was low, inflation was low, rates are low. This decade already, in the 2020s, it's almost the opposite. We've had during the pandemic supply problems and demand hasn't been the issue. Massive government stimulus in the U.S., that meant demand has been you know, surging very, very rapidly. And so we think this decade really is going to be a story about the supply side for the U.S. economy and really the kind of the global economy overall because demand doesn't look like it's going to be a challenge. Households in the U.S. are in good financial shape, but it's the supply of labor. We have already a tight labor market lack of housing, concerns about energy supply. So this decade is going to be sort of dominated by that. Could there be a lot of improvement on the supply side through a lot of investment, productivity gains, AI, that leads to a good outcome? That's kind of the open question, but it really comes down to kind of the supply side this decade versus last decade was about lack of demand. Yeah, well, Paul, let me bring you in here on that. It's so interesting. And
0: in the report, it sort of unpacks these several megatrends that are going to impact the economy over this next period of time. Some of these are some of these big secular themes that we often return to on the programme that are going to impact the economy and the the broader regime then in the years ahead. Just remind us, what are those megatrends, Paul?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So as Jason pointed out, we really do think that one of the things that's very different about this cycle compared to this last cycle is a lack of supply. And we do sort of see four megatrend themes that can really expand the potential supply going forward. The first of which is just an overall corporate CapEx boom, driven really by the need to replace aging capital stock in the United States. And the second of which is the acceleration of the green energy transition. And we've seen data where more and more economies are pledging to to be net neutral at some point this century, which also allies all trillions of dollars in energy transition investment. Third is the prioritization of security and deglobalization trends, which really have come to the fore in light of the 2018 trade wars, as well as supply concerns during the COVID-19 lockdowns. And then fourthly, as Jason pointed out again, is really this excitement about generative AI and what it can do to enhance the productivity of a current very tight labor market. Now, you know, all of these are interrelated, and in general, we broadly expect these investments to lead to a positive supply outcome, which can be the basis of faster growth and contained inflation scenario, which is very good for the roaring 20s. But its overall impact right now, it's really hard to capture, especially in the near term.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I wonder, given those mega trends then, Jason, what do you think's actually necessary to happen
1: for that Roaring Twenties scenario that you described to actually come to pass? Well, really, all of this kind of hinges on, can productivity growth in the US pick up? Because when we think about trend growth in the US economy, and this defines kind of interest rates, it defines sort of Fed policy, trend growth in the US is assumed to be a little less than 2%. And the way trend growth is estimated is... How much is the labor force growing every year? And based on demographics, we know in the US it's about a half a percent. And then how much more productive are those workers getting? And estimates are that on average it's going to be about one and a quarter percent for the US economy over time. So you add those two together, you get about 1.75%. So the scenario that we have in mind for Roaring 20s is. Growth is going to be 2.5% or higher for a sustained period of time. But also inflation can come down. It's not accelerating. It's not you know, too high. And that combination is, is the reason why interest rates are, are stay elevated, not because inflation is high, but just because the economy is doing well. In order to get that productivity boom, you need the investment to take place in the economy. You know, as Paul alluded to, kind of all the four mega trends are kind of tied to that. I think the key ones really are on the corporate investment side. Are they investing capital? To replace existing stock to make their workers more productive? And can AI ultimately kind of be, you know, kind of really in in somewhat near term, meaning the next five years, actually have a positive impact on on productivity? If you get that, then you can have faster growth that isn't inflationary. It means that your policy doesn't have to be overly restrictive. Now, there's reasons to be optimistic, there's also reasons to be cautious because forecasting productivity is very difficult. But one thing that I think we sort of flag in the report is there is something different about the US economy, and I think this applies to other regions as well from pre to post-pandemic, certain activity has changed. I mean, simple thing is return to office, that's different. It's leading to changes in consumption behavior. Companies have to react to that. They have to react to how they structure their businesses. And We're seeing a little bit more of like entrepreneurial activity in the US post-pandemic as if people said like, all right, well, I'm not going to sort of sit idly by and live my life passively. I'm going to take action. So If those things come together, then you have this scenario. But you know, there's a lot of things that have to kind of go right for it to materialize. We think it's possible, but certainly not guaranteed.
0: Paul, let me bring you back in here, because we've got much more attention being paid to growing debt levels, interest expense that governments have to pay amidst that we know this this higher interest rate environment. How do you think those factors might impact the likelihood or otherwise of a roaring 20 scenario?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question. For me, I think that there's a significant tension in the fiscal space right now that's quite difficult to solve. On one hand, as you alluded to, deficit spending is quite high, especially given this level of very low unemployment, which adds to this historic level of national debt. On the other hand, you know a good chunk of government spending in the U.S. right now is really going to mandatory payments like Social Security and net interest outlays, the latter of which are a growing problem under a higher rate regime. And In general, on both sides of the aisle, there does seem to be more pressure for spending programs in some way, shape or form. So all in all, we believe that these debt dynamics will cap the likelihood of the passage of significant pieces of expansionary fiscal policy in the near future, unless really large reforms are made.
0: Well, look, your remarks, both of you, are as perspicacious as always. But despite that, listeners may be surprised to learn that you do, you're you not in possession of a crystal ball. But even even given that factor, though, Jason, let me ask you, how likely do you think it is that the US will experience a, a roaring
1: 20s? What, how, how would you call this one? So I would say it's still kind of the bull case scenario, not a base case. But the probability is trending higher. This is a topic that I first started writing about 2 years ago, you know, when people were concerned about repeating the 1970s stagflation and I said, well, there's already, you know, a bull case scenario laid out different, you know, parameters for that to happen and 2 years later this is actually sort of kind of, you know, playing out. So certainly relative to where we were, it's become a more plausible scenario. It's also, I think the bar for achieving it is actually relatively low. Again, if we're talking about trend growth in the US of 1.75%, productivity growth of just over 1%, it doesn't take much for productivity to be a little bit better than that, and given the sort of investment story that we think will take place, the risk skew is for higher trend growth, higher productivity. The question is, is how much? I think a little bit is, is a reasonable bet, but big changes, something like what happened in the 1990s, that's kind of a, a you know I think a bigger leap of faith that you have to make. So it's not so like we'd say it's not 50%, but it's rising towards that. At the same time, if I look at other scenarios, there isn't one obvious scenario you say, well, we're going to go back to like a lower for longer regime. That doesn't seem to be the case. It doesn't seem like we'll be stagflationary. So it isn't necessarily the, the dominant narrative or a likely outcome, but I think it's in the running along with other scenarios that are all kind of equally plausible.
0: Well, yeah, but I guess on that point then, and Paul, let me ask you this question. If if the US doesn't experience that uh, roaring 20s, well, what might be the reasons that would shape that? Obviously, we're sitting here a year out from a huge domestic general election, but could it be global geopolitics or something else maybe that we haven't thought of yet? What might be the reasons why it, why it doesn't happen if it doesn't?
2: Well, the last few years have shown how events really can take hold of the global macro space very suddenly and very surprisingly too. So, you know, as Jason mentioned, there's still significant uncertainty when it comes to quantifying the impact of these megatrends, especially when it comes to the productivity side. And I think that will be really key lifting, you know, US trend growth to this roaring 20 scenario. But, you know, there are also other risks that we're watching out for. External geopolitical risks can manifest in the form of higher input prices, which really can be a weight on growth as well as push up inflation even higher, which would lead to tighter monetary policy and really limit the ability for firms to invest and consumers to spend. And domestically, you know, as you sort of alluded to, domestic politics are still a bit of an issue. Infighting might lead to a loss of investor confidence, especially come when it comes to U.S. debt and the lack or the sort of the delay of Um, debt payments or another government shutdown, it's really another risk to watch out for given the current political environment. And while we do not see any signs of imbalances in the U.S. financial system right now, the regional banking crisis that we had earlier this year certainly is worrisome. A financial crisis is still very difficult to get out of, as we've seen from the post-GFC dynamics. And we are in a sort of different environment, a higher rate environment, and the highest that we've seen in a couple of years. There are things in the financial system that might be bent, but hopefully not broken as we go into the Roaring 20 scenario.
0: Yeah, super interesting. Jason Dreyer, let me just put a a final question to you. We always like to bring this back to investors, of course, and look at how uh, smart investors can best position to take advantage or or mitigate risks. If if you would just just sum up for us, given the, the current kind of macro environment, which you've both described so elegantly for us,
1: what should investors be thinking about? Well, there's parts about the investment outlook conditional on this Roaring 20 scenario playing out that are, I think, a little more predictable than others. So, for one, the assumption might be well, if the economy is kind of has a roaring 20s, that should be good for equities. It can be, but keep in mind that equity valuations today are relatively elevated for the US, certainly relative to where they were in the mid 1990s before the dot com bubble started. So, I think the upside for equities is a little more capped, which means it's probably important where in the equity markets you pick in the US, so things that would benefit from a roaring 20 scenario, which may not be the mega cap tech stocks. So I think the, the return outlook in that environment is a little more complicated than to predict. Where it's, I think we can have a little more conviction is on the portfolio diversification side. In an environment where inflation stays a little more elevated than has been the last decade, the benefits of bonds diversifying your portfolio, I think that becomes a little less beneficial. You get what we've had in the past year and a half, situations where bonds and stocks sell off together. So that dynamic may not completely reverse. And so I think you have to think about how do you create a diversified portfolio? That's going to be maybe a little more challenging in the kind of environment we're talking about. Portfolio volatility can be a little bit higher. So I think it really forces people to think a little more creatively or or differently about how they construct their portfolios, looking at other asset classes, alternative asset classes that can give some some benefits. And the last thing I would say is you know the past decade has been very good for U.S. financial market performance and equity market performance. This roaring twenty scenario we're describing it certainly is U.S. centric. There could be other developed markets that that would benefit from it, and maybe even emerging markets. But it looks it's it might be a little more of the US exceptionalism. So after another a decade of US outperformance, if we get a roaring twenties in the US, it might be like another decade of at least somewhat relative outperformance for the US as well. So that's the other kind of you know thing where we think that's if this scenario plays out that you have to keep in mind. Jason Dreo, and before that, Paul
0: Chow, bringing us to the end of this edition of the Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle Radio. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com. And you can discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.